Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nully with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Nikhil Verma. Dr. Verma is a professor of orthopedic surgery at Rush University and the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox. He was a senior author on a paper entitled Arthroscopic Superpectoral and Open Subpectoral Biceps Tenodices Produce Similar Outcomes, a Randomized Prospective Analysis, which was published in the January 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Verma, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Clay. Thanks for having me. Let's start with uh, maybe one or two of the main conclusions and main points that you and your co-authors believe that the readers should take away for those readers that maybe, or those listeners that maybe haven't read the article yet. Sure. So this was a, as you stated, a prospective trial looking at uh, arthroscopic and open techniques for biceps tenodesis. As you know, there's been considerable controversy over the last decade or more about the appropriate technique and more importantly, the appropriate location about where a biceps tenodesis should be performed, either proximal, above or in the groove, or distal, below the groove in the supra or subpectoral area. And I think the take-home message that, that doctors or other physicians should take away from this is do what works best in your hands. There does not seem to be a difference in either functional outcome or clinical recovery, whether you do this high in the groove and use an arthroscopic approach or low below the groove and use an open approach. Yeah, that's great. Can you maybe describe a little bit of the technique? Because for the arthroscopic one, it wasn't all the way up. It was actually a little, a little bit lower um, to remove it a little bit out of the groove, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah. In general, as you know, uh, there's probably three primary locations where Tina DCs are done. Uh, there's a, a way proximal location that would be basically just off the edge of the articular cartilage above the groove. I think it's fairly uncommon for people to do it actually in the groove. Uh, there's then the suprapectoral location, which is above the pec tendon, just below the groove, which is where our arthroscopic uh, group underwent their tenodesis. And there's a subpectoral location, which is done basically in the bottom third of the pec tendon. So this study, and it's a good point, specifically looked at an arthroscopic suprapectoral, so between the top order of the pec and the groove, and a subpectoral open, which is uh, at the bottom portion of the pec tendon insertion. Yeah, I think it's a, your point is a great one, a great differentiation, because one of the uh, indications in the study for patients to be included was preoperative bicipital groove pain or anterior pain. And I think maybe historically or in some, in some practices or in some people's practices, that would be an indication for going straight to a subpectoral biceps tenodesis because they say, well, I want to take the biceps completely out of the groove or I want to remove most of the tendon or that sort of thing. But I think with this technique, you guys are doing that to some degree. Yeah, I think, you know, as you know, there was a, there was a controversial paper that was published, I believe, by J.P. Warner, where he looked at his outcomes following tenodesis. This was probably going back almost a decade, and he found that you either needed to remove the tendon from the groove or decompress the tendon in the groove. Um, And that's what led many of us to think that, well, we should just remove the tendon altogether from the groove itself. I think that this paper certainly did not look at above the groove tenodesis. So, I don't want to say that that's not an option. It just not, was not a category within this study. There have been other manuscripts published in arthroscopy. I think Steve Burkhart has a very large series looking at uh, above the groove tenodesis, so just off the edge of the articular surface, and obviously reports very positive results. Um, but our, our basically at Rush, our kind of uh, thought process on this is that we want to eliminate any potential source of recurrent pain from the biceps itself. 
as you know, anterior shoulder pain can be very perplexing. And so if you do do a, above the groove ten, uh, tenodesis and patients have persistent pain, it may lead you to believe that, okay, maybe I need to go back and re-tenodese lower. And so our gestalt has been, let's just take the biceps completely out of the equation so that we know if groove pain or anterior shoulder pain persists, it's not a biceps etiology. Yeah, and I think there was only one patient in the study that underwent a conversion from the arthroscopic group to the open subpec group, and it was because of an attenuated tendon that wouldn't even allow you guys to do an arthroscopic technique. So a couple other interesting uh, findings in the study. The arthroscopic technique took was significantly greater more time. Not, neither of them were a lot of time. The arthroscopic group was 17 minutes versus about 10 minutes for the open group, but it was statistically significant more time for the sure. arthroscopic technique. So can you comment on that? Does that play into, you know, maybe how surgeons should evaluate that? Or is it, you know, you mentioned kind of before, maybe a little bit of dealer's choice based on the outcomes, but what about that factor? Yeah, I'm not sure the time itself makes a big difference, but clearly uh, if you're going to do an arthroscopic technique, it can be somewhat technically challenging. And I think the, as you can see from this study, one of the challenges associated with it is it's very rare that we're doing only a biceps tenodesis. So typically you're doing a biceps in association with one to three other procedures that may include rotator cuff repair, decompression, distal clavicle excision. And often the biceps is the last procedure that you do, at least that's the way it's done in my hands. And so, um, you know, at that point, you've got a shoulder that's somewhat swollen. You've been operating for 45 minutes or an hour. So I think it really, again, comes back to um, this can be done. It can be done well. It can be done with good clinical outcomes in an arthroscopic setting. But if, uh, if that's outside your skill set or it's not something you're comfortable with or the case dictates that it needs to be done elsewhere or you're just more familiar with the open approach, there's certainly no penalty or downside to doing it open. And you can expect to uh, provide your patients with extra, excellent clinical outcomes. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned that the concurrent procedures that are typically done with biceps, as you stated. So the, the average or the mean age of the patients in this, uh, this cohort was about 50 years, which is when maybe when we think about talking about biceps or in the biceps world, or especially when we start talking about biceps tenodesis and, and then even going down, a lot of times people kind of associate that that sometimes with slap tears and things like that, which is not this discussion, obviously. But to the point is that the 50 year old patient population is more of the rotator cuff population, but we're still talking about biceps tenodesis. And so at an age of uh, 50, do you think the age or the patient population would really matter or factor into the way people approach this? Uh, or is it just because it's concurrent factors and there's other things going on? No, I think that, uh, as you mentioned, you know, in our hands, this probably is a procedure that's done most commonly in association with rotator cuff. And as you know, the biceps and the supraspinatus at the anterior border are intimately associated. And so it's very common that biceps disease coexists with rotator cuff disease. And so this paper is just reflective of the common population that undergoes this procedure. Having said that, there is a group of younger patients, either with slap type problems and or repetitive use problems that often result or can result in isolated uh, biceps, uh, tenosynovitis or inflammatory conditions. And uh, in my experience, although it wasn't the specific focus of this paper, I think you have the same options and can expect similar equivalent results between open and arthroscopic technique. Absolutely. That's great information. So all in this study, all the tenodesis procedures utilize the peak interference screw. Is that, did you guys utilize that primarily to keep the, the variables and the factors consistent? Or is that the technique of choice that you guys utilize pretty much all the time or the majority of time for either arthroscopic or subpectoral tenodesis now? Yeah. So that's historically been our workhorse procedure for tenodesis, particularly in a subpectoral location. 
and as a result, in order to make sure that the groups were matched with regard to technique, that was our decision in terms of uh, the arthroscopic portion of the procedure. Having said that, I will say that many of us have moved from uh, tunnel-based procedures with screws to now onlay-based onlay procedures using small anchors uh, and typically all suture anchors. Uh, one of the concerns about a uh, screw-based procedure, particularly as you get down into the humeral diaphyses, such as with a subpectoral approach, is potential fracture. Um, we published a study many years ago with Shane Noe as the lead author, looking at our uh, complication rate associated with subpectoral biceps tenodesis. And fortunately, the fracture rate was extremely low. I think we had one in a group of um, uh, nearly 150 patients over several years. The biggest issue with the screws are uh, the tunnel size can be large, so you can be drilling a seven or eight millimeter tunnel in, uh, in a humeral diaphysis. Uh, we know that the fracture risk is increased based on biomechanical testing that's been done at Rush and elsewhere when you drill those size tunnels. And I think from a technical standpoint, the key is uh, most fractures, when they occur, they occur because of a technical mistake, which is the hole is not placed in the center of the humerus. It's actually placed off center, which significantly increases uh, the uh, the stress around the tunnel itself. Absolutely. So are there any patient factors or any specific things that maybe you see intraoperatively or arthroscopically that will push you one way or another to say, yeah, I'm definitely going to do this arthroscopically, like you said, after I do my cuff work and my other work or my subacromial work, or no, I'm definitely going to come out and do this open subpec after all that work? Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's really two things in my mind. Number one is, do I have the visualization uh, and the uh, control of bleeding, swelling, et cetera, that makes it me comfortable with determining that I can do uh, an adequate technical procedure in order to accomplish a tenodesis. So that's number one. I would say that in the vast majority of cases, once you become comfortable with the technique, uh, you can do that. And then the second factor that would change my mind is just like the case that was reported in this series, uh, occasionally you do see conditions where bicep split tears or other significant uh, partial tearing or degeneration of the tendon exists all the way down into the group portion where you're just not com comfortable with the fact that the tendon is of substantial quality in order to support a tenodesis in that location. But otherwise, I think barring those two factors, it really comes down to surgeon comfort, surgeon preference, and what works best in your hands. That's terrific. Those are great points. Yeah, you mentioned, you alluded to visualization, which I think is a really terrific point. I think one of the one of the factors that you all mentioned in the paper was BMI and the surgical time for the arthroscopic technique was significantly greater in patients if they had particularly BMI over 34. And so I think that's a great point and a great factor that you guys highlighted that, you know, certain patient populations may be a lot more difficult to visualize that tendon uh, and, and yeah, get it kind of exactly where you want it. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that the, the tips that I have for that and the things that have really helped me substantially is I, I tend to do this in a beach chair position. So I've got a little flexibility in regards to arm position, but the key is to bring the arm into slight forward elevation. So I'm usually in about 30 to 30 to 40 degrees of elevation and about 10 to 20 degrees of external rotation. And then you create an accessory portal that's generally about two to three centimeters distal and two to three centimeters lateral to your uh, standard anterior um, working portal. And then the second part that becomes very challenging and takes a little bit of time to get used to is really identifying the biceps. And what I find is that it's hard to palpate in the groove, but if you can clean out so that you're just below the groove, then uh, the biceps becomes very palpable and you can just follow that proximally in order to open the transverse humeral ligament. That's awesome. Those are terrific points. That accessory portal is definitely key if you're trying to get that visualization for sure. 
Dr. Verma's article, Arthroscopic Superpectoral and Open Subpectoral Biceps Tenodices Produce Similar Outcomes, a Randomized Prospective Analysis, can be found in the January 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Dr. Verma, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Clay. I just want to give a shout out to all of our co-authors and particularly Brian Forsythe, who was the primary surgeon and really was the uh, driving factor uh, towards getting this study done. So thanks to all my collaborators on this. Absolutely. It's a great group. That concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time.